Matt Keecap, episode 911 for Monday, January 24th, 2022. Geekab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We share your tips. And boy, do we have some of what I what are thus far my favorite quick tips to share with you from you. Today, we share your cool stuff found and we have some cool stuff found and we share your questions and we try to answer your questions. The goal being that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together, which was generally which is generally every week. Our sponsors this week include takethesis.com slash MGG, where you can get 10% off your first order. LinkedIn.com slash MGG, where you can post your first job for free. Kanji.io slash MGG. K-A-N-D-J-I.io slash MGG. A great MDM platform that wants to hear how you want to use them. We'll talk more about that in the show here. And another new sponsor, but one that I've used for a long time, newrelic.com slash MGG, where you get 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. This is you want to listen to the spot about this. If you are doing any kind of uh, development or server like like management or anything like that. Yeah. Anyway, you'll hear more about each of those later in the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Chile, Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Braun. Yeah, it's chilly. We were talking about that pre-show. I, um, I, uh, I, like it's cold in my office or in my studio. It's, it's I, like usually the heat. I have a nest. It's supposed to get it warm before my, my tea time. And it's, uh, it's still cold. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's like 10, 10 Fahrenheit here. So, you know, that's, I guess that's yeah, how it. Same here. 12. 12. Yeah. 12. Yeah. Yeah. It's cold. That's a lot. <laughs> Uh, as a, uh, follow up from last week, the MGG merch store is live at MacGeekUp.com slash merch. Uh, that's the best way to get there. We did it all through Threadless. Threadless, uh, makes great t-shirts and they like their fulfillment does exactly everything we need. The one thing that a few of you have pointed out, cause tons of you have ordered already, uh, is that they do not yet support Apple pay. We're working with them on that. But uh, obviously, we wanted to prioritize getting good shirts reliably and uh, quality printing and all of that good stuff. So Threadless checked all the uh, primarily important boxes. But we'll see if we can get them to do Apple Pay, too. They should. It's not that difficult to implement. Having done it on our premium site and about to do it again on the new premium site, uh, it's not that terrible, but it is Far more complex than implementing any other payment processor um, for whatever reason. I, it's Apple. They, I don't know why they make it difficult. But Don't you just paste some JavaScript in there or no? I guess it's, it's not. Well, it, no, it, I mean, yes, as long as everything else is exactly the way Apple wants it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not just paste some JavaScript and you're good. You you need to be offering products the right way and you need to be you know organizing things the right way and and when i say right i mean apple's way i do not mean that there is only one right way to sell things online so yeah it's it's it was it took us a while even with the premium program to get it to a point or where maybe it was to, where for apple to get things to a point where it like was 
easy enough for uh, folks to like us to implement. They, they didn't out of the gate. It was, it was a pain in the neck, but it's getting there. It's getting there. It's getting there. <sighs> um, all right, let's get to these quick tips, John. I'm super, super stoked about uh, the, especially these first couple, really all of them. But Steve's says I was cleaning up the file names in my photos and music folders and got tired of copy replacing every file's name in that folder. Then I discovered that the finder can do a bulk name change. I had no idea about this, but I used it last night because I had to change some things and it worked totally fine. And it worked on, uh, I just realized now that it worked on obviously Monterey, but also on Big Sur, which is what I'm running here in the studio. The way you do it is in the finder, you highlight the files that you want to replace. Then you go to the file menu and rename. At that point, you'll get a little dialogue up where you get to choose what part of it you want to rename and what you want to rename it to. Uh, so you get a find and replace kind of thing. Click rename and boom, it'll do it all in a row. One cool thing I noticed, John, is that if you do it, you can also there's like an advanced button. I'm pulling it up here just so uh, I can make sure to get it right. Yeah, you uh, you can you can choose replace text. You can choose add text, uh, which will add it either after the name or before the file name. Or you can choose format where you get to choose like a counter or a name in the date and you can like have it name the files based on all kinds of different things after the name, before the name. It's like, this is super robust functionality for something that 17 years I've never known about. I don't think it was there 17 years ago, but it might've been, I've never tried it. It's pretty cool. It, and it's, it's contextual, right? If you have only one thing highlighted in the finder, and you choose file rename, it just does the normal rename thing. It, you know, it, you just type your, you know, type the new name in the finder. But if you have more than one, then you get this little dialogue. It's pretty good. I like it. It's good. You didn't know about that either, I, I presume, from the look on your face that I saw, John? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. What have I done? I think, what is it? A better finder rename? Yeah. <coughs> That's what I would have always used. Yeah. But it's obviously been there for a little while, at least. Pilot mm-hmm. Pete in the chat room is uh, telling us that it's uh, he thinks it was there in Catalina. So uh, he thinks that's where it that's that's when it entered our worlds. Well, it entered my world yesterday. So it's all good. Mm-hmm. Want to take us to Robin, my friend? Yes. So Robin says. I knew I already knew that double clicking on the title bar of a window maximizes it, but I found out that when you hover over the edge so that the mouse pointer changes to a, a double arrow, um, if you double click that, if you then double click, it resizes in that direction only. So huh. If you need to do that, that's uh, that's cool. So if I double click it and I'm trying to think of a window that, uh, I guess I can do it. I mean, it can be any window. Finder windows. Yeah, but if I double click the edge, oh, it just moves that edge to the edge. Oh. In yeah. Yeah, I did yes. it in the finder. I grabbed a finder window and um, double clicked the right edge, and it moved that to the to the edge of the screen, or expanded yeah. that. I should say, not moved, expanded mm-hmm. that to the edge of the screen. Oh. Yeah, I was That's hoping cool. you could undo it, but I don't think you can. Oh. 
Right. <laughs> Let me try. Let's see if I double click it and I do that and I go to edit undo. I have undo rename because I was just in rename. So, yep, there is no undo. All right. Well, I guess you can drag it over. That's pretty good. Thanks, Robin. Good stuff. You want to uh, you want to take us to Drewski? Yes. So. All right. This may be a tip for anyone as absent minded as me, but it, it, it's a follow up to an issue that even we couldn't solve a few weeks ago, Dane. OK. Um, so uh, he was unable to empty the trash despite trying many methods. Um, uh, he has over 25 terabytes of JBOD storage, and apparently I had used one of them to help uh in a restore project for my brother-in-law's faltering Mac. It seems that the files I was, I was unable to empty from my trash were originally located on one of my external drives. And since I had ejected that drive, I was not able to empty the trash. So if you're going to empty the trash, don't get caught with your external drives unmounted. Interesting. So that's interesting. Cause I thought the trash mm. was stored on a drive and when the drive was ejected, it would not show that those files were in the trash. But clearly, at least in Drewski's case, it was showing something in the trash that was not on an attached drive. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Well, that, that's fine. I Sure. Sure. Yeah. Make sure the drive you're trying to eject or uh, trying to empty is on online. That's good. All right. Good. Thanks, Drewski. That's a that's a mystery I would not have uh yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I would even think to try that in the future even knowing this cuz it's not I am now now I want to test that, John. That's really interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh Tony has you know this is one of those quick tips. I think we have talked about this on the show in the past, but it's been a long time. He says uh he says, because we shop at multiple physical stores. Oh, oh, this was the um, sorry. Last week we were talking about how he was scanning all of his receipts. A follow up to that is he says, I've made another folder where I've scanned important pages from appliance and gadget manuals. And I've scanned those into a note because scanning into notes is now so easy. I can't agree more. This I've been saving PDFs of user manuals uh, on my, well, I mean, at at first it was like in my Dropbox. Now it's on my Synology and my cloud station drive, but user manuals for products are generally super easy to find as PDFs when the products are new, but when you need them is usually about eight years later when the product's been, you know, revved three times and you cannot find them other than those shady user manual PDF sites that are a super pain to navigate through. So anytime we get something new, I try to remember to go in and find the user manual and just save it and name it the what I would call the appliance. So, you know, like LG washing machine or something so that I know, yeah, that's my LG washing machine. And I can go in and great. I've got the user manual as a PDF and it's always there. We used to save them in this. We had this wicker basket that we like, you know, we had overstuffed. I think it actually came from the previous owners of this house with the user manuals, you know, for the things that, that they sold to us as part of the house. Super valuable to have. I mean, it was valuable to have that, but then we started moving it to electronic. But the idea of scanning it, 
if you can't find the PDF, if you can find the PDF, don't bother scanning it. Just grab the PDF. You're good to go. It's always going to be better quality. But uh, but if you have to scan it, notes makes it easy. It's good. It's good. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. You want to take us to the last quick tip uh, we got here, John? Um, I'm going to throw a tip in after oh. this one here. But uh, right, Daniel wrote it and said... Um, he was listening to the episode where I talked about the annoying Netflix autoplay trailer thing. Um, and so he sent an article. Um, uh, it's for Fire TV, but it should work for all devices. And in a nutshell, um, the option is a little more hidden than the article says. Go to account and then scroll down to profile and parental controls. Uh, then click and scroll down further to playback settings. And oddly enough, I didn't, you know, what he, he did is sent a uh, screenshot uh, right. from an iOS device, it looks like, an iPhone. Um, I looked in the Netflix app on my phone and I couldn't find this path. So it looks like what he was doing, um, it looks like what he was doing, uh, oh. So I do, I think I think the Netflix app on your phone, John, does not autoplay, right? I, I think that right. that's why you don't have that setting in the Netflix app on your phone because it's not an issue there. But it is yeah, an issue. Yeah, but I, I was on I your was trying TV. to go right. Yeah, but I you know I I went to account in the app and the, the, this choice was not here. Correct. Uh, and then when I ran the Netflix app, it said, "Well, you got to reconfigure on on your your computer," and I'm like, "Okay." And I found it. So it's a slightly different path, um, but edit profile. So this is this then, is on the web. In, uh, so rewinding everything, starting mm-hmm. from scratch, you want to solve your Netflix. You want to keep Netflix from auto playing, correct? That's mm-hmm. the that's the tip here. How do people do it? They launch their web browser, go to Netflix, and uh, account, and then edit profile. And at the bottom of that dialogue are two checkboxes. Autoplay next episode in a series on all devices and autoplay previews while browsing on the device. So I uncheck both of those. Nice. That's great. That's a that's a quick tip right there. Cool. You said you had another quick tip before we move out of quick tips oh, yeah. and talk about yeah, our I came across this by accident. Yeah. So I was watching something on my uh, Apple TV and you can uh, activate a screensaver if it's sitting there doing nothing for too long. Uh, here's what I found. If you right or left swipe on the uh, remote, it will tell you what you're looking at. Very cool. Yeah, I have with our new Apple TV. I feel like all I've had to do is just like tap lightly on the on the the touch sensor on the remote and it comes up. I don't think I've even had to swipe to do that. But yes, you get to see where it is that you're watching. And there was something we were watching the other day, John, like literally watching the screensaver. And it was it was like a satellite view or something. It was cruising around the earth really fast. And it was saying, you know, something about uh, approaching the Baltic Sea or whatever. And then a little later, it was like approaching Moscow or something like it was it was updating as it moved across the uh, across the globe, the globe, which I mm. think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I, I don't think that's true of all of them because most of the screensavers, at least the ones I've seen, 
you know, all stay relatively local to wherever they begin. But um, but that one was not, you know, it was a satellite thing. So, yeah, I like it. That's good. Cool. All right. We have um, we have some questions of yours to answer and share. The next thing I want to do, though, is talk about our first couple of sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Okay. All right. First up is Kanji, our new sponsor here at kanji.io slash MGG. That's K-A-N-D-J-I dot I-O slash MGG. That's where you can go to get a uh, free demo or trial of this awesome MDM solution for your organization. As an Apple admin, the more you let your users control which apps are installed on their devices, the better for you, right? And Kanji's self-service app lets you do just that on both iOS and macOS. It shows users your curated list of the apps that you've allowed them to install on their own, right? And you can customize that self-service app with your own branding, your own help text, your own software categories. And, and once they're installed, they're kept patched automatically. Most MDM solutions give you the tools to help you manually achieve general security compliance. But with Kanji, the scripts, the controls, and the settings needed to achieve compliance have already been built and they're organized into the templates that they have. They are keen on automation here because they know that automation is the key to making your life simpler and they want to hear from you they want to hear what you need and how it's all going to work when you talk to them at kanji.io slash mgg you can learn why growing companies like allbirds lacework and segment use kanji for their zero touch apple device management Saves you a ton of time and you can fine tune how Kanji manages your Mac OS updates. New updates can be automatically enforced after they're released or you can select a minimum version of the OS for enforcement. It's fantastic. You got to go check this out. And like I said, they want to hear from you. So go to Kanji, K-A-N-D-J-I dot I-O slash M-G-G for that free demo and trial. And our thanks to Kanji for coming on board and sponsoring this episode. Listen, these days it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. And that's why our sponsor LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You know that we've had Sadie on board here at Backbeat Media and helping out with this show, Mackeekab in particular, build engagement and build our social profile better. And really, she's the one that helped make the T-shirts happen. I say helped. She spearheaded that operation. (laughs) She really she drove it all the way from nothing to boom. It's done. And you know where we found Sadie? We found Sadie on LinkedIn Jobs. Yeah, it was super easy in a in a market where it was not easy otherwise. Like, I I don't want to minimize this. It was super difficult. As we started heading down this path to find people and then we put the ad out on LinkedIn jobs and boom, we had like 75 candidates and we narrowed people down. Obviously, we wound up uh, like hitting the jackpot with Sadie and you can create that free job post in minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. And their tools let you focus on uh, candidates with just the right skills and experience. And you can use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. And then you use the LinkedIn jobs tools to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview. And then you interview them, right? And then, and then you make the decision and you hire them. 
LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. And did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Yeah, you want to get in front of them. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash mgg. That's linkedin.com slash mgg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for doing what they do, for helping us find Sadie, and for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's uh, let's go to Ben here. Ben um, Ben asks. He says, "I up, just upgraded to an M1 iMac running Monterey, and AppTrap is uh, no longer works." Okay, he says, "Is there a good free alternative that automatically notices when an application gets put in the trash and offers to delete its associated support files?" I noticed that App Cleaner requires dropping an application on it to have this effect. I'm not crazy about that approach. I want something automated. Is there anything out there? I know there's lots of things that do this. I use Hazel, John, uh, because I use Mm -hmm. it for my automation. It watches folders. It does all of my things. And I try to limit the amount of things that I have uh, doing duplicate uh, work on my Mac. But uh, but Hazel definitely offers this functionality and works great. It's not free, but when combined with everything else that it does, it's a great feature to have alongside of it. So that's what I use. What, what do you use? Um, I like free. Okay. And, uh, here's a little tip. Um, app cleaner can do this. Okay. So yes, you can either, uh, create an alias of it and then drag your app on top of that, which he says he doesn't like, but if you put something in the trash, so you got to go to preferences, and they have a feature called Smart Delete. Okay. Uh, and if you turn it on, um, it says Smart Delete detects when apps are trashed and will automatically find an offer to remove related files. So, huh? There you go. All right. So it just it so it runs in the background somehow. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it does it. Okay, like, but if App Cleaner is not an app that you have launched since you've rebooted. And you go to delete an app. Does it jump up and say, hey, I noticed you're deleting an app. Okay. All right. So, so it's doing something in the background. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's the answer then. Oh, okay. Awesome. 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 I like it. I like when we can give answers. Exactly. That's good. You want to take us to Cindy? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a tough one. Um, Do you have any clues as to how I can restore my drag and dropped folders in my sidebar? Restoring the finder preferences via time machine didn't do the trick. I keep often use client folders in both my toolbar and my sidebar. Yesterday, they suddenly disappeared. I hate to recreate my somewhat tedious organization again if I don't need to. Um, And then uh, a tiny tip here. I create folders with names such as dash, 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 x, 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 x. And use them as dividers. Uh, okay. That's okay. Kind of clever. Yeah, that's, yeah, I like that. Um, it's a good side tip. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of, Dave, is try restoring from a local snapshot. Um, I've had to do this when I've had uh, system updates go bad <laughs> and, like, screw everything up. Um, and Apple has an article here, how to restore from a time machine snapshot. Okay. Yeah. The, so. The, the only issue with snapshot, I, I, I think snapshots are a fantastic thing. And I'm, I like that we're talking about them because it's good to remind us all 
to use them, right? Because they, for those of us that have been doing this for a little while, it it's not something we've always had, so it's not in our toolbox automatically. The only problem with a snapshot is that it is all or nothing, right? You don't mm-hmm. get to pick what parts of things you're grabbing from the snapshot. You are just rolling back to a point in time. So mm-hmm. if she created or changed any files or anything like that, all of that work would also be lost rolling back to a prior snapshot. And then depending on how you have your Mac configured or to do snapshots, like if you're doing a carbon copy cloner or if you're just trusting, uh, you know, time machine to do them, you may not really have snapshots at a granular level to go back to either. Uh, like you said, when when a Mac is doing a software update, it totally uh makes a snapshot before it, that happens and so that it can it's so that you can roll back which which i think is brilliant but it's not always right there i'm, I'm trying to think i would have thought the the finder preferences p list would have had that in there i i can't even think where else i would look uh, for that you know i i'm almost certain at one point there was a sidebar P list file, but I searched on my system and it's not there anymore. Not so there. I guess they folded it into something else. Huh? Huh? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I wish I had. I wish. I wish I knew. This is one of those needle in the haystack things, right? Like if if we, it's got to be somewhere. Um, if anybody knows feedback at MacGeekab.com, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Yeah. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. We love to hear from you. It's true. We mean it unless you're a premium listener. Uh, and then premium at MacGeekab.com. It's good. All right. Um, let's go, let's go to Gary while we're on the subject of things that are done differently in Mac OS today. Gary has. Uh, Gary has a path to bring us down. So Gary says, gentlemen, um, I have a 16 inch MacBook Pro running Catalina 10157, and I'm ready to make the jump to Monterey. I want to enter Monterey as if this was brand new hardware. So I'm looking for that clean install effect with the advent of sign system software, data volumes and such. What is the best path to get the cleanest, newest Monterey experience once I get there. For that matter, what's the best ongoing maintenance once I get to Monterey to keep it fast and agile? All right, so this is interesting. Um, the path I would take, and I, I want you with me on this, John, so let's not edit show notes. Let's talk, because I, I want to make sure I'm getting a sanity check here. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing I would do to get from Catalina to Monterey is to make a a backup or a clone of Catalina and just put it on ice, right? Like just standard practice, right? So we have that. Then I, and this is get a, get to a clean Monterey. So I realize what I'm about to suggest might not sound like the fastest path, but bear with me or correct me. I would upgrade my existing Mac OS from Catalina to Monterey, complete with all my stuff, just an over the top, normal upgrade. And then I would clone that again, just for safekeeping. Once I've got my Mac up onto Monterey, I would go into and I, and I still decide. And at this point, you may say, you know what? It's working fine. I don't want to do a clean install of Monterey. But if you still do, go to system preferences and go to the system preferences menu. 
and choose erase all contents and settings. This is a Monterey only feature. Uh, I it is there on Intel Max as well as uh, as well as M1 Max, and it happens very very quickly. And then that's it. Now you have Monterey clean without any of your data, without any of your preferences, and you're good to go. And you didn't have to create a USB boot disk. You didn't have to mess around with recovery mode. You didn't have to deal with a failed recovery mode thing that then makes you go down the path of internet install. Like all of those things have always been right around the corner doing a clean install on a Mac. Like when you take it down to, you know, almost the the bare metal of, of recovery mode, which I realize isn't bare metal. Things can go wrong. I've had them go wrong many times. And so getting it to Monterey and then using this new feature of Monterey, which is essentially the same as iOS's uh, erase all contents and settings, because it's erase all contents and settings. <laughs> I think that's the fastest path and the most reliable path to get there. But tell me if you think I'm crazy. Wait, um, tell me if you think this path is wrong. Don't answer the question about whether or not you think I'm crazy. That's two different questions. <laughs> um, it looks like it should work. Mm-hmm. Um, though I just upgraded this machine to Monterey and yeah. I just installed over the old yeah. OS and it went, it went fine. Everything, everything is still working as expected. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. And I, I, I think they might get there and decide to, to just, you know, stick with the over the top, but there are times when a clean install is, is a good thing. It's not, you know, you don't necessarily want 10 years of cruft, coming with you all the time, right? Like there's moments where it's like, okay, it's time. I'm going to start from scratch, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I love this. I was shocked. I didn't think the erase all contents and settings worked on Intel. For some reason I had it in my head that it was an M one only feature, but, uh, we migrated Lucas to that new MacBook pro. I'm back on the MacBook air. Cause that works fine for me. He's doing a lot of coding and stuff. So we put him on the the 14 inch MacBook Pro. And that meant that he had an Intel M1 Air that needed to be uh, wiped. And so we just used, I'm like, wait, go to system preferences and check and see if that erase all contents and settings is there. He's like, yeah, it's there. I'm like, cool, do it. And he did it. And now that machine is ready to go for whoever is going to use it next around here, which is great. So I was shocked. Like I said, I didn't, it may not work on all Intel Macs, but I, I would guess it would like, uh, I can't see why it wouldn't might be a T2 or later kind of thing, which might like, I could see that if somebody knows, let us know feedback at MacGeekHub.com. I have a, um, a, an upcoming cool stuff. Speaking of Lucas, he, uh, he flew back to read yesterday. Uh, but while he was in the airport and starting a few days prior, uh, he did some stuff for us on the Mac Geek site, just cleaning up the live site. And then uh, we've been uh, enjoying Wordle here in the house. So Lucas wrote a Python, uh, it, it wrote a program in Python to help him solve Wordle problems. So he puts in his, it actually it gives you a word to start with to guess. And then uh, you tell it what Wordle has told you. So, you know, if you haven't played Wordle yet, it's this game where you pick Five, you try to guess a five letter word and it gives you some hints. And so it, you tell it which letters were in the word, which weren't in the word and which were either in the right place or, or not. 
And then it narrows down this list of like 5,000 words. It doesn't have the 2,500 word list that Wordle specifically uses because that's not public. But there is a list of 5,000 common five letter words. And uh, and it narrows it down. And since he wrote it, he has been using it only like, he, you know, he may he might like do the, the puzzle on his own, too. But he has been letting the engine guide him. And it, it like it gets no further than five steps and guarantees that he has the answer, which is pretty cool, uh, narrowing it down. So I like it. It's good. Yeah, I saw something. I think Allison posted it. Um, she actually had something that I think it was using grep. Okay. To, um, and and apparently there's a dictionary on your Mac. And sure. So what you can do is you can grep, and if you give it the right pattern, it'll be like, okay, well, here are all the matching. Here, here are all the words that match that pattern. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, I could see doing that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Warren in the chat room says, cheating at Wordle is a new low. That's similar to my my wife's con- comment, which was, well, you know, I don't have any trouble solving Wordle with my brain. And Lucas's response, which I thought was appropriate, was, yeah, I used my brain to write this program, and now I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> Uh, so I've been encouraging him to figure out how to turn this into, a, you know, Python is uh, if you were to host this for people to use in, say, a web browser, uh, Python is server based, which means that it's, you know, every user that's using it concurrently has an, uh, it, you know, adds an increased load, pretty significant in the grand scheme of things, increased load to the server. So I've been encouraging him to rewrite it, or there's some engines that will just port Python to JavaScript, either rewriting it or porting it to JavaScript so that it happens in the browser. And now all you got to do from the server is send the JavaScript down and a compressed version of this, uh, or, you know, when web servers would do it, gzip the the dictionary file, and then boom, that gets cached and you're good to go. And now you can run this um, without it causing server things. And and then he can put it on a pretty low cost server, put a Google ad uh, AdWords or AdSense account, sorry, up on there and make a little money and, you know, pay for college. So that's my, uh, that's my thing. Yeah. And um, another thing about Wordle. So I actually had someone, um, one of my Twitter followers, was like I'm not interested in seeing your uh, your posts. Sure. Um, well, here's a hint. Um, That's in, what the in, unfollow uh, button is for. Um, no, there, there's a better way to do it. Um, so, uh, in um, Twitterific is the client that I use. If you hover over someone's tweet, it will tell you what client they're running. Okay. Just kind of a neat feature. But um, Twitterific preferences muffles oh so it, it just does some some like local filtering of of well, you, content. you give it you give it a screen name it says here a uh, screen name hashtag domain or phrase right um so just add- that's what i'm saying but it's doing local filtering it's not actually filtering Correct. like this only works for that twitter client you can't do it and and have it affect Correct. like if somebody's using the native client or whatever so yeah all right there you go or just unfollow. Like, it's super easy. Yeah, but it, it, it was only one piece of content that he didn't want to see. Right. So the, and I've done that, too, for, yeah, you know, certain games or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be sure to keep everyone posted if Lucas winds up publishing his, uh, his Wordle 
solver thing. It's been it's been fascinating looking at the code and seeing how he's solving mm-hmm. for it. It's pretty cool. It's good. It's a uh, you know, it, a it's fun and b you know, proud papa. It's like guy, oh, look at that solving problems. All right, uh, John. There's this thing from Walt out here with this office activation. Can we summarize this in a way that doesn't take up everybody's time? Because I don't think this is relevant to everyone. In fact, I think it's only relevant to Walt, but it's kind of interesting in an off-the-wall way. Right. Um, oh, basically, Walt tried to install Microsoft Office Home and support uh, on his 2019 iMac running Big Sur. Sure. Um, it accepted the product code, but there was an error Um because most Microsoft products, you have to activate them with a product key. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so here's the weird part. The agent, so we call Microsoft technical support. The agent looked at my computer and said it is infected with numerous foreign IP addresses, which prevent updating the Microsoft software. I'm like, huh? <laughs> he recommended an IP firewall by Cisco for $16.95 <laughs> or a similar product by WebRoot, which retails for less. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't get this. Um, and he has well malware bites, but the guy also said, "Oh, it's just an optimizer and will not remove any infected files," which uh, I think is wrong. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, it, you know, my my first thought is that he didn't talk to Microsoft support, right? But it doesn't sound like this person was actually trying to sell him or scam him anything. It mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like he called Microsoft support. And so what is like, like, and if there's a scam, there's, there's usually a benefit to the scammer. And it doesn't sound like in this case there was, they were telling him, yeah, go buy this thing from Cisco or go buy this thing from Webroot. It sounds like he got a either very confused or very incorrect support agent, which is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Maybe it was an intern or something. Yeah. Blame the interns. Always blame the interns. Always Always blame the interns. I like it. ASOC, right? ASOC on uh, on Dilbert. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Fascinating. I don't know, man. Uh, it like just I, like I couldn't. It didn't make any sense to include it in the show, but I couldn't possibly uh, <laughs> have have let us skip it because it's just so bizarre. I mean. Uh, uh, and my advice is either call again and get a different agent that That's- knows what they're talking about. Or maybe Apple Care could help, but I don't think it's a OS related thing. I think it's it's a problem on Microsoft. Yeah, end. I think the person misinterpreted the either the error not the not Walt, but the the support rep misinterpreted the error message that Walt read them, or doesn't understand the right solution for that because none of this, excuse me, makes any sense. So anyway, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Give everybody a pass these days with uh, you know. Well, COVID craziness. I am COVID free, John. I'm happy to say after a week and whatever of testing positive and having no symptoms, but yeah, I ordered my, uh, free, uh, testing kits. That's good. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You might as well. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's everywhere now, but, um, yeah, thankfully I made it through without, it's weird. I had symptoms and, and then they went away and then I tested positive. So it was like, well, did I have symptoms for COVID or was it just another thing, which is what I thought I had. But anyway, it's all good now. Thank goodness. All right. Uh, moving on. Scott has, yeah, poor Scott. 
Scott deals with something we all deal with here with his calendar invitations, which I don't think Apple does right. Scott says, uh, as a lifelong Mac user, I always tell people that things just work as they are supposed to. But I cannot defend the Mac's calendar invitation process because it simply doesn't work as it should. When I send an invitation to someone from the calendar or Fantastical, my preferred calendar app, but I've tried it both ways, and they accept the invitation, it hardly ever shows the acceptance checkmark next to their email address. It doesn't matter if they're Mac or Windows users, Android or iOS, they always tell me they've accepted, but there's just no indication of it on my end. I do see them very occasionally, but there's no pattern. Some have come from Mac users, others from Windows, and so this is completely unreliable and therefore useless. Another dumb aspect of macOS invitation system is that I can't designate which of my email accounts the information should be sent from. All informations are sent from my iCloud address, and that is inappropriate for my business events. Do you have any suggestions for sorting out the messy process of calendar invitations and acceptances? Well, I can I don't know that I have a magic answer, but I can tell you what I've experienced and what I do, because I agree with your assessment that it is inconsistent. It's a mess. Uh, and it is. But the thing is, it's a mess regardless of the calendaring system used. Um, if you invite someone in the same system, so you're both iCloud, you're both Google, you're both Exchange, etc., depending on what you're using, that has the best chance of making the round trip. But even then, it's imperfect, especially if iCloud is the system in question. The others are more reliable for this round trip. Um, then, and by round trip, I mean, invite, like if I invite John to an event, invite gets to John, John accepts invite acceptance comes back to me. That's what I'm calling round trip. Um, it's touchy at best. And iCloud is the worst. Here's the thing. iCloud is, thinks it's smart. And so when you trigger an invite to someone on an iCloud calendar, and it doesn't matter with, again, whether you're using Apple's apps or someone else's apps that, that are, you know, logged into iCloud calendars. When you do that, it sends, when I say it, the iCloud server is the thing that sends the invite to people. Now, if it's another, if it's a non-iCloud user, the iCloud server will actually send them an email. But if it is an iCloud user or it's an email address that an iCloud user has associated with their iCloud account for things like FaceTime and all that. Like I can I have, you know, my my iCloud email, but then you can also get me via FaceTime and iMessage via many other email addresses that have nothing to do with iCloud. I've just added them to my to my iCloud. If it's any one of those, iCloud tries to be smart and doesn't send you an email. It just sort of slides the invitation into your calendar app in theory. It doesn't always make it. Uh, and then the same is true in reverse. It tries to be smart about it, but it doesn't work. ICS is the system uh, is the, the type, the file name that is used for uh, attachments when you're sending this stuff via email. And that is the only reliable method that I have found. Trying to do it inside the server, again, especially the iCloud server, is unreliable. So doing it via ICS files via email will work as long as you are using something that is sure to send those ICS files. And of course, because iCloud thinks it's smart, it doesn't even attempt to if there's another iCloud user there. And that's the problem. So what I do is I use BusyCal. 
And BusyCal suffers from the same thing because it links with iCloud and it, you know, it trusts iCloud to do it. But what I can do in BusyCal is right click on each of my attendees or invitees and choose to email with attachment. And then it that creates an e, a new message in mail or whatever mail client I want to use, but presumably mail, uh, at least for me, it's mail addressed to that person's email with an ICS attachment. And then from there, I can change my from address to be from, you know, whatever my backbeat media account or my Mac geek Cab account or in the past, my Mac observer account, like I can, you know, it, contextualize it based on the, you know, the nature of the meeting. And then usually that means the person's client on their end will send back the email invite or the email acceptance that comes in via ICS and everything starts to become happy. The trick would be not letting iCloud send the invites. I've talked to uh, Fahad, the developer of BusyCal about this and asked if there's a way we can just say, please don't put these invites in iCloud, just manage them via email. He thought I was a little crazy about that. He's probably not wrong, but for me at least, and maybe also for Scott, that seems like the answer. I don't know. Do you do a lot of this, John? Do you have any like experience with this or anything? Uh, not really. <clears throat> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I use calendar a lot, but I usually don't invite people to things. Yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a handy thing, especially, you know, in, in today's world of I mean, even with with phone calls and all that. But, you know, with Zoom links and all that, it's great to be able to just put it in the calendar, send the invite out and boom, you know, everybody's got it and all that good stuff. But it's just not reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's now here's something cool. Yes, that sir. I didn't that maybe it's part of. The new OS. Mm-hmm. So I went to Spotlight and I typed in BusyCal. Yes, sir. And it shows BusyCal App Store productivity and how many stars it has. Like that's I haven't seen that before. I think I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know that's been there on iOS for a while. I I would have I would have said it was there on macOS for a while, but it's possible it's only new in Monterey. It's also possible. That, you know, if you go into system preferences spotlight, you can turn on all the different things for search results. So I'm still on Big Sur here in the studio. I got to upgrade and it's time. I'm I'm comfortable with it. I just haven't done it yet. I've had a few things going on selling a business COVID, you know, uh, and is there if you go there on a Monterey machine, John, if you go to system preferences spotlight. In search results, is there an app store checkbox now? Spotlight? Because uh, I don't have an app store checkbox on my big Sur Mac. I have applications, but I always would have presumed that's local applications. I don't yeah. see app store in that checkable list. But I do have Siri suggestions. So, I, I mm. you know. Uh, maybe this is part of series suggestions. In fact, I, I think it is part of series suggestions. Oh, all right. Yeah. 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 And if you click on it, it, it goes to the app store and shows you the page for the, uh, okay. Pilot Pete is telling us that there is not a checkbox for that in Monterey. So he's, he's seeing the same thing you are, John. 
So, yeah, my guess is it's part of Siri suggestions. In fact, you could test that, right? Uncheck Siri suggestions, do the same search and see what happens, because that might not, not that you'd want to disable that, but to just to know where it's coming from. In fact, wait, oh, I can't do it here. Uh, what's an app that I don't have on this Mac? So I will search for I don't think I have Fantastical on this Mac. Uh, Fantastical. I search. I see nothing from the App Store here. And I think Fantastical is in the App Store. So there you go. So maybe it is a, a Monterey thing. I'll have to test that later. Fascinating stuff. All right. We have uh, a follow-up on our discussion from last week about scanning photos with your phone or with anything and how people are doing it. So we want to do that. The next thing we want to do is tell you about our next two sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. All right. All right. Hey, look, if you're a software engineer, you've been there, right? It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. And then your phone buzzes with that alert. Something's broken. Your mind's already racing at what could be wrong, man. I, like, I've definitely been there. <laughs> it's, it happens when you least expect it. And it's just how it goes, right? Is it, you know, a problem with the server? Is it a problem with you know, something in between the server and whatever I'm um, like using to check it. Who knows? Right. You got to dig in. Is it or is it like something about like, do I have slow running queries? Whatever it is. Right. You know, and then at that point, you are getting the whole team to scramble, looking from tool to tool and messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. That won't happen if you get new relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you normally buy separately so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and you can resolve it quickly. We use uh, it here. We've uh, we've used it running Mac Observer and the other stuff here at Back Me Media. It, like, it is super helpful. And that to the line of code thing where it points you, I can't tell you how happy we were the first time we used it and saw that. It's pretty amazing. And it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. It's super easy to integrate. So that next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required just because you're a listener. Sign up at newrelic.com slash MGG. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash MGG. Newrelic.com slash MGG. And our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode. So you've started a new routine. You feel amazing. But how long will those changes last before you lose your motivation? Our sponsor, Thesis, can help you follow through on all your goals and make them your new normal. Thesis makes personalized supplement formulas that are specifically designed to boost cognitive function. And it's all based on the science of nootropics, which are natural and powerful ingredients. Things that I talk about here on the show. If you listen, you hear me talk about I'm not usually a caffeine person, although sometimes I am, but not regularly. But I, I take things like ginseng and B12 and lion's mane mushrooms and things like that that increase productivity focus, energy, and mental clarity. And that's what they include too. Feel energized without the crash and cut through your brain fog to think clearly or get a little help with motivation to find your flow. And the way you do it 
is you take their three-minute online quiz, and then Thesis will recommend high-quality nootropic formulas that are unique to you and your goals. So, like I said, I, I don't generally do caffeine, and they asked me that question, like, do you generally do caffeine? And so I said no, and then they sent me stuff that includes all the other stuff, but not caffeine. It's amazing. And of course, if you choose caffeine, they put that in it's the right ones for you and, you know, as appropriate. Right now, Thesis is offering you, our listeners, 10% off your first starter kit when you visit takethesis.com slash MGG. So go to takethesis.com slash MGG to take their quiz and discover your unique nootropic combination and save 10% on your first starter kit. That's takethesis.com slash MGG. Make sure to use our URL to let them know we sent you and our thanks to Thesis for sponsoring this episode. All right, it's time to talk about scanning photos. The first thing that I want to start with here, John, is something that came up from Listener Vegas at live.macgeekup.com while we were uh, just finishing up last week's episode where we started this conversation where uh, someone had written in asking, you know, what's the best way to, to do this? And one of the things I... Um, noted was that when scanning photos with my iPhone, the, uh, the, the issues are managing glare and managing, you know, the, the keeping the pictures from becoming askew. Well, it turns out that Google has something called photo scan and it's an app that takes the glare out of pictures that were scanned with glare. I don't know what magic it does to do this, but it's pretty cool that it that it's able to do it. And, you know, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's, you know, all kinds of I, I think it takes multiple pictures and and, you know, figures out where the glare is and, and then just gets rid of it, you know, which is great. So we will put a link uh, to a little article about PhotoScan, but you can download it for your phone. Uh, and so that's that's a start. And, and I think PhotoScan is even used in, in one or more of the solutions that we're about to share with you, too. So um, so that's that's a start. And now, uh, listener David, I think, is the uh, the next place we're going to yes. go here, John? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he gave us some tips here. Um, the Epson Perfection V39 flatbed scanner. Okay. Uh, he's been using it for years. He likes the quality of the scan. The so It comes with software that lets you scan multiple pictures um, and save each picture as its own file. Um Depending on the size of the photo, you can scan up to six photos at once. And the nice thing is that it's only $99. Ooh. Okay. I found one that was 250 Yeah. But it was an Epson. Um, so you can do that. Now, another one, um, he uh, also found a service because we mentioned that there are people that will scan. You know, you send them your photos. Yep. And they'll scan them for you and then, you know, give them back to you. Um, dig my picks. All right. Com. Uh, and they scan a whole bunch of things, uh, slides, negatives, photos, uh, APS. What is that? That looks like film. Oh my God. Oh, right. Videotape transfer and movie film transfer. So they do it all. Huh? That's pretty cool. Huh? All right. If I let's say I put in, I want to have them scan a hundred standard printed photos, forty nine cents a piece. Okay, so mm. you know, and yeah, there you go. All right, interesting, huh? 
Yeah, 49 cents a scan for 600 DPI, 89 cents at 1200 DPI. Non-standard stuff is $1.15. Oversized photos are five bucks a scan. Scanning photos in albums is uh, adds another 10 cents per image. So, yeah, all right. Hey, that's pretty good. Okay. That, that sort of puts all this in perspective. I like that. It's good. Uh, listener Will sent me an email and talked about the Epson fast photo scanner. He, uh, he says, I, this is what I used. It was fast and easy. You can easily set up presets for naming photos and even locations for saving. I did a pile at a time, like 25 ish. You load a stack, you hit scan and you walk away, come back in five minutes or so load another stack. It crops scans the back. If there's anything on there to remember does color correction and cleanup as well. The trick is, and and this is the trick, he says they go for about 450 bucks on eBay new and about 400 used. So the trick is go get one, do your scans and then put it back on eBay and sell it because you only need to use it once, <laughs> presumably. So that's not a bad path, especially considering that there's a, a healthy market for them. So you put 400 bucks out there, you go sell it for 400 bucks and, you know, you're good to go. Not not too bad. I like it. That's good. Cool. And you just put the stack in. To me, that's that's the key is, you know, having using a flatbed scanner feels a little bit complex, but it doesn't feel nearly as complex as what we're about to hear about from listener David. Right. Right. OK, so uh, David, uh, he's following up. Uh, let me share the setup. I use the scan six thousand family pictures with my phone. Um. So part one is a tripod. Uh, I'll have to link to these things. Here. I'll, I'll link to um, them. I got it. You, you talk. I'll link. You got it. Good. All yeah. right. Um, next is the Joby smartphone bracket um, yep. and attach it to the tripod. Uh, we, we suggested some similar in the last episode as well. Yeah. Um, um, and let's see. Ah, and here we go. So this is the, the really cool part. Okay. Um, I scanned with the unfade app, which can automatically rotate crop and unfade scans. Oh, so like, like Google, but and, not and Google. I yeah. And I think what the app does is. So you put the picture and the app is smart enough to know, hey, there's a picture here. And so it takes one and then you take the picture away and sure. then put another one there. I was thinking you could maybe get a robot designed to, you know. <laughs> that sounds inexpensive. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of expensive. <laughs> I like it, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. Huh. All right. All right. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, we'll put links to all, all those things. Um, ah, there they are. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's cool. Very cool. All right. Well, we have more cool stuff found. Thanks, everybody, for submitting on that. Uh, super handy. Um, and, and I think we've, you know, if you know of a different service or something or a piece of hardware that's just, like, killer, let, please let us know. Uh, feedback at MacGeekUp.com, of course. Uh, Warren actually in the chat room says that photo mine P H O T O M Y N E is good, but not free. Okay. Well, I don't think we've had, um, anything overly free other than having to have an iPhone and, and scanning that way. But photo mine is, uh, interesting. Is it a, 
it's an app. Okay. I see it's uh, and it, it does a lot of this work for you. They recommend using a, uh, a, a backlight and, um, and they have some, they have a, a photo tent, which isn't a bad idea. They've got all this links from their website. So that's good to check out too. Thanks Warren. Great stuff. Cool. All right. Um, you want to take us to some non-photo related cool stuff found? Uh, you want to start with Steve, John? Uh, sure. Yeah. Right, so cool. Steve, um, Steve found this and it's actually an updated version of a product that we had reported on about two years ago. Okay. It's the Mophie three in one travel charger MagSafe compatible. Ah. So they added MagSafe to it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And what is it? Describe it for us. Um, there, there are three pads. One okay. is for your watch. Um, yeah. What do they show here? One is for your watch. One is for your phone. And one is for, I don't even know what that is. AirPods. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So AirPods, phone, <laughs> and, uh, okay. I like it. And the That's watch. Cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Cool. I have, uh, I actually have something similar sitting right next to me here, John. And that is the nightstand. N-Y-T-S-T-N-D is the name of the product. It comes in lots of different colors and form factors. I have a white one in quad orientation right now. So quad means it can charge up to four things. Uh, it's got a little charger for the watch on the front. Uh, if you're watching the video, of course, I do not have it plugged into power, so you're not going to actually see it charge anything. But it's got a thing for the watch. It's got two MagSafe pads, kind of similar to the the other one you were talking about, John. So, uh, you know, it and it will hold on there, but you can put your AirPods there, too. And then uh, the quad part means that the back of it has a little stand and a connector. You choose Lightning or USB-C, depending on whether you're OG iPad or new G iPad. And then your iPad kind of sits up on the back and charges that way. So uh, it comes, like, like I said, I've got a, a full white one here that you're seeing if you're watching the video. It's um, It's got, uh, you can get it in like wood grain and black and brown and all this stuff. But it's, you know, it's about, um, it's about the size of like a, a nine inch iPad uh, when it sits on your desk or nightstand or whatever it is. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's actually kind of a nice thing. This might become the thing that I use next to my bed. Like it's, it's, it's got all the things that I need in a layout that actually works for me. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. And it's nightstand N Y T S T N D. They've got them in, I think dual trio, duo trio and quad. And, uh, you know, depending on whether you want the iPad with it. They've also got it with like a little tray so you can put like your keys and your other crap or whatever that you have because we all have that crap uh, in there. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, I like it. It's it's uh, these form factors are good. And it it checks my box of more MagSafe because that's what this, you know, this cycle. I was going to say this year, but really it started for me with the iPhone 13. So this iPhone cycle, I'm focused on finding where MagSafe can be my friend. I have had problems, John, with my uh, non-MagSafe Qi chargers next to my bed where I wake up and my phone has just stopped charging. And mm. so I'm I'm doing away with all of that. I have two. I have one on top of my, like I have a, a well, I'll call it a clock radio. It's, it's not really a radio. Maybe it is. I don't know. 
I don't. I certainly don't listen to the radio on it. But I have one on top of a of a clock that I have next to my bed, and then uh, that Ventev one. I don't know. They they don't they don't charge me reliably, and I don't know if it's because things get shuffled around. Maybe the cats nudge it, or I don't know. But it. I don't like waking up with a phone at like dead or five percent or something. It's unreliable. So MagSafe yeah, is my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I had that happen too. I so I got a couple of the uh, Apple chargers yeah. and. And I had a clear case and that worked okay, but you had to get it just right or it wouldn't charge. Yeah. Um, Specs uh, MagSafe case, which, which I got as a gift, um, that always, you know, gets it right. MagSafe is good for exactly that reason. Yep. I like it. So now that I've shown this thing on the show, I can go put it next to my bed and uh, I'll let you know in a couple of weeks if I'm still using it. So Uh, you want to take us to Larry, John? A little follow-up? Yes. Oh. Uh, I think I can condense this a little bit. Two follow-ups, um, even. So um, so he followed up uh, to our talk about Ibotta, which is an app that gives you discounts on things. You scan in your receipt, you scan in the barcode, and then they give you money. Okay. Um, so that's cool. So he, he's got another one here, um, and I guess you could double dip here, uh, called CoinOut. Um. So I guess they do something similar and you can get, you know, on the order of tens of cents, uh, maybe 30 cents, I think is the most that he's seen. Um, and so what they do is I think, yeah, so they take you to the website, but like, uh, you make a purchase and you get a portion back. Okay. So no, there's, there's no scanning involved. It doesn't sound like. It will um, log into your email for you. I think if you let it. And find your receipts there, too. But it, it like I looked this morning prepping the show. Mm. It was like because I went I like, OK, well, how's this work? And then they wanted my email password and I stopped. But the first thing they ask you for is your email address. And so I put in my email address and it's like, yeah, this only works with Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail and AOL. It's like, mm. OK, guys, <laughs> that sounds interesting. Um, so, you know, and then, and so I put in my Gmail account I'm like, Oh, let's see what this is. And then it's like, what's your Gmail password? I'm like, yeah, I don't think so, but maybe, maybe somebody would, would want to do that. Not me, <sighs> but yeah, cool coin out. We got a link for it in the show notes. And then, uh, Zach, fu- right. The, we're good on that well, one. And, oh, and there's ahead. another Sorry. one. Sorry. While, while we were talking, while we were, um, but after he said this, I'm like, oh, you know, there, there's another one that I, I actually utilized recently when I bought my HomePod minis. Um, yeah. Uh, it's called Honey. It's a plug-in. And what it does is it kind of peeks over your shoulder. And if you're going to a page where you can buy something, um, you may get a discount. And I actually got a discount. Um it brought it down from 79. I think normally they're 99 bucks. I yeah. think it brought it down to 79 and then I got a little extra beyond that. So that was nice. Honey is a great plugin. It it can get in the way sometimes and be a little bit, you know, intrusive. Uh, but I, I agree with you. It It's a great way to just kind of have, like you said, somebody looking over your shoulder to find you the deals. So yeah, I got to, I got to put that back on my Mac. I it I I had it on for a while. I turned it off because it kept getting in the way. But I know I'm I'm losing the opportunity to save money. I don't want to say I'm losing money. I'm losing the opportunity to save. <laughs> Either way, I'm losing money. Uh, and then Zach had a follow up. We were talking about cards. He had uh, he had another card to throw into the ring, which 
it, it seems like we're all into, which I like. Yeah. So this is the, um, the, uh, get out of the way, the chase Amazon rewards card. Okay. Uh, so here's what they do for you. Um, Oh, okay. They got, they got two versions. So Amazon rewards visa signature card. You get 3% back at Amazon, the whole foods, uh, 2% back at restaurants, gas stations, and drugstores, and 1% back on everything else. Okay. Uh, if you get the Amazon prime rewards visa signature card, um, same categories, but, um, they start off at 5% at Amazon and Whole Foods, 2%. Uh, and then the, the other things are the same. Yeah. So. So, you, so you get bumped up from 3 to 5 if you're Amazon Prime and you have the Prime card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. That's a pretty good deal, uh, especially given all the stuff we buy on Amazon. I gotta, Maybe I need to rethink my – I have long been a travel rewards uh, collector. Started mm-hmm. with the American Airlines Advantage card years and years ago. And then I moved that over to the Bonvoy stuff, which I think I, the Marriott stuff, which I, which I talked about last week. And that works out fine, but I, I'm not convinced the savings are being maximized. Like I might do better if I, you know, do the, the thing. I mean, I, you know, yeah, we'll see. I do pretty well each year, you know, with Discover. I use the Discover quarterly bonuses. You get 5% for different things each quarter or whatever. And uh, Q4 is always Amazon because they know everybody's buying everything on Amazon. And I always max that out. And the summer is like restaurants on the discover one, which can be super handy for like vacations because you wind up eating out a whole lot more than the normal if you go on vacations. And so anyway, this might be better. I don't know. All right, cool. Hey, I have a, uh, I have a card to talk about, John. It's a little bit different. It's called the Arculus card. And uh, it is indeed a card. Uh, I'm showing it on the video here. It's a metal card. It's cold, um, both in feel, because it's been sitting here in my cold office or my cold studio. But also, it is cold storage for your cryptocurrency. And what's cool about this this card is it's um, it, it uses, it appears to use NFC. Whatever it's using, it's got to be NFC because that's what's in the iPhone. N- needs no battery which is super handy because a lot of these cold storage wallets, if the, you know, they need to be charged. Otherwise, you know, you can't use them. Uh, It stores the keys for my crypto wallets that I choose to put on here. Of course, they're all recoverable with the 12 word phrase and all of that stuff. That's normal, but stores the keys. So I can use the app to uh, view my balances and all of that stuff. But if I want to send, I need to put the card, you know, on the back of my iPhone and do the uh, the NFC thing so that it can authenticate the card, and then it uses my PIN or my Face ID to uh, to go further. But um, it's ninety nine bucks offline cold storage. You you know you're not trusting someone else with your wallet. This is your wallet, and it's a pretty cool. It it works. I, I was amazed at how easy they made it uh, going through the setup process. I just you know. It launched the app and it was like, okay, put the card on the back of your iPhone. And I did. And it was like, great, set up your pin, set up your this. And then it was like, okay, here's your 12 word phrase, save that somewhere, recite it back to us so that we prove you're not an idiot. And, uh, which is a good thing to do. And, and then it was like, all right, we're going to write the wallet to the back to the, the card. And so I put my phone back on the card for whatever, 20, 30 seconds while it wrote it back. And that's it. Now it's all right here. Hmm. So 
yeah, if you get this and my pin and whatever else, you uh, you can have access to all my crypto riches right there. Mm. Right there, folks. That's it. <laughs> but it's a cool. I like it. it. In terms of cold storage wallets, man, it's the simplest one that I've seen ever. So cool stuff. I like I like the no battery. Of course, it needs your phone. So, you know, there you go. But um, there you go. So, all right. I think that's what we got. Do you got any cool stuff found, John, to uh, to add to the pile here, my friend? Mm, not at the moment. Not at the moment. All right. Well, then I think it's time to bring the band in and say thanks to the band for playing and staying out in the cold as long as we made them stay out there. <laughs> it's not warm. It's not warm. Uh, what else? Anything to, uh, we told everybody about the, uh, shirts. We told everybody about MGG or Mac Geek, not MGG. It's MacGeekab.com slash merch. That's how we do it. Uh, you got anything else to tell them, John? Any, anywhere you want to send them? On the Twitters, I'm John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. Mac Geekab is Mac Geekab. And Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. That is true. Make sure to check out our sponsors. You can always go to MacGeekab.com slash sponsors. And that will uh, show you all the deals that that are current, whether they are current sponsors or not. We try to keep uh, things up to date for you, which is great. And then, of course, you can check out the sponsors from this week's episode. TakeThesis.com slash MGG. NewRelic.com slash MGG. LinkedIn.com slash MGG. And Kondj, K-A-N-D-J-I.io slash MGG. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. It's always a blast. Thanks for sending all your stuff. It's really, it's amazing. We love that we get to do this. We thank you for that. John, do you have any... Lasting advice to send to these kind people before we uh, head on? Um, I have lots of advice, but um, I'll make this short and sweet. Don't get caught. Made up. That's good advice.